Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFred Daily Garden Tips. Lots of snark. And don't forget the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on, along with a solicitation for your toughest garden questions for one of my toughest guests. Debbie Flower, <laughs> horticultural consultant, is here, former college horticulture professor. Is uh, We're tackling some questions that don't have easy answers today. Uh, yeah, a lot of things don't have easy answers. However, coming up at uh, 11 o'clock will be the Garden Grappler, and I think there's plenty of easy answers for that, along with a clue which is available at both FarmerFred.com and at uh, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred uh, Facebook page I like this question. All right. Um, Also, a little bit later on in this program, I got mad yesterday, and uh, about 10.30, I'll tell you why I got mad. And uh, anyway... That's all. I get we gotta wait now. Yeah, sitting yeah. on the edge of my seat yeah, over what, here. What a, yeah, what else? Okay, <laughs> old man sitting on your porch telling people to get off your lawn. I don't have a lawn. It's it's more like get off my California buckwheat <laughs> or whatever. Yes, uh, it, my know, California buckwheat's looking really good and healthy this year. How's yours? It's new. Everything is new. Oh, that's right. Everything. It's hard. The first year's yes. the hardest year. I see these blank spaces, and I, I so much want to just put in stuff. Yeah, it's easy to plant too much. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, by the way, your old alma mater, uh, American River College, mm-hmm. did an excellent job with their plant sale last month. Oh, good. Uh, they did a great job uh, with a wide variety of plants, and it, judging by the amount of people that were out there, it was a big success. Good. So, Good, I'm glad to hear it. Yep, and I picked up uh, lots of uh, salvia fillers for the yard, so I got a good selection uh, of yeah. salvias. Perennials are a wonderful thing to put in because you can sort of chop them back when they start to grow together or you know, they're in the way of something else. They fill in, and then you can cut them back when you need to. Yep, yep. We're getting a lot of questions about weeds, and I noticed that on the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, it uh, the, what is that, the Catch Straw Bedweed, mm-hmm. yeah, is getting a lot of uh, comments and anger directed towards it. So let's uh, talk about that for a few minutes. The uh, catchweed bed straw mm-hmm. weed, and uh, I did not know, and you pointed this out that it is a California native. Yes, it is. <laughs> you see? It was used by the Forty ers It's called bed straw because it was used by the Forty ers to create a, a a bed, a mattress, so to speak. Uh, it's full of these little hairs, and so it doesn't pack down. Uh, really tight, very quickly. Obviously, at some point it will, and uh, it helped to create a, a softer place to sleep. And the, I think a, a big part of the issues people have with it is uh, allergic reactions to it if it brushes up Boy, against their is skin. It scratchy, woo, yeah. Why is it scratchy? Is that some sort of uh, hairs protection system to keep sure. animals from yeah. eating it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, yes. clever weed, but. But it's edible, apparently. Yeah, if you go to the UCIPM page on uh, catchweed bed straw, it talks about the herbal uses of uh, catchweed bed straw. It says it uh, has many beneficial uses. The roasted seeds make a good coffee substitute. The young leaves can be used as a substitute for tea or steamed with butter and eaten. 
It is said to be a, a diuretic, an anti-inflammatory, an antispasmodic, and was used to treat psoriasis and eczema. That's rather ironic, <laughs> considering what it does it, to one's skin. It just skin. rubbed it right off. I, my, I, I have been on top of it and removing it when I see it. I walk my yard every day and, and pull it when I see it. And um, my arms, I don't, I'm dating myself here. I don't know if anybody remembers the Palmolive commercials with Madge and oh, the yeah. lobster claws. Yeah. Yes. Well, my arms were like the lobster claws. Just totally rough all the way up and all the way down. It was from rubbing against that plant. And, uh, uh, yeah, it can be pretty, pretty brutal. So maybe it just rubs that psoriasis right off your body. <laughs> yes. And uh, this is handy to know, too. A filter made of bed straw leaves and stems has been used to strain cow's hair out of milk. <laughs> so the next time you find that stray cow hair in your milk, you can use bed straw <laughs> to strain it out. Okay. Yes. Uh, it's also been used as feed for geese and other birds, and the roots can be used to make a red dye. Oh, wow. So I, I think the caution there would be you're out in the yard, you're picking weeds, you're pulling weeds, and you don't have, you forgot to bring your trash bucket with you or right. whatever, so right. you just stick it in your back pocket. Yeah. And then you forget about it. Then it goes through the wash. Yeah. And if it's got red dye in the roots, that hmm. could be interesting. Yeah, uh, I do find that when I just pull it and throw it on the ground, it does uh, uh, wilt fairly quickly, and it's a lot easier to handle once it's wilted. But does it die, or well, will it the reroot? Part I worry, I, the plant dies, but the part I worry about is how mature are the seeds? You know, are are they are they mature enough that they'll just dry up and fall off and grow again in that location? Mm-hmm. And I have cats that are indoor outdoor cats, and they get it in their fur. Um, my yard is pretty clean, but they go to the neighbor's yard. One of them does, and she gets just full of it. Uh, I had to, in the past, I had to have a cat uh, shorn to get rid of all of the bed straw in his fur. Did the cat cut you out of its will at that point? He was mad, yeah. mad, mad. Yeah. Yeah. So Sarah wants to know, at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Page, where is all the catchweed bed straw coming from? She says, I grew up in Sacramento and had never seen it until about three years ago. In that case, I think it came in with a car or something. Right, with a car, with mulch, with an animal. Uh, you know, we don't know who's wandering through our yards at night. Uh, and I think the uh, it likes disturbed soil and it likes moisture. So all the rain we had last year may have... Uh, influenced it the seeds could have come with floating water uh and then been planted in a nice moist place and and grown up um and it can really take over once it finds a spot it likes and uh the best control for it i guess just uh hoeing it out taking it out and then yeah always when you're trying to get rid of weeds you need to do them before they set seed uh, I used to t- teach my students BISS, B-I-S-S, before it sets seeds. Get rid of those weeds before it sets seeds. If you wait too long, it's already set seed, and you got your next population just sitting in the ground. Um, so weeding earlier in the season rather than later. I was out in February pulling weeds. They're little then, and so it, it's worth looking at the UCIPM website and looking at what the baby plant looks like so you can pull it at that point really easy you go out with a hoe and just hoe it down at that point and and you have to do it repeatedly it will continue to germinate but 
the more you get done early in the season, the better. Now, you know, everybody's saying, well, gee, thanks. It's, it's not February anymore. Uh, so going out and pulling it, collecting it, uh, dumping it in the yard waste or the, or the garbage because those seeds may, may be viable at this point. It's right about, at least the ones in my yard, they're pretty close to, to having mature seed on them. And you don't want that in your yard. Going to the email that you're sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com, Diana in Loma Rica sends in a picture of her oxalis. In a picture, Debbie, take a look at this picture. It looks like a beautiful ground cover. <laughs> it's from a distance. And you go, oh, what a nice green mat it mm-hmm. is underneath your roses and oh, your shrubs. Yeah. Bummer. <laughs> so that's how, you, that's how you control it. That's what she wanted to know is how do I uh, control it? I have arthritis and can't pull it out. Well, I think at this point you need to hire somebody yeah. to go pull it yeah. out for you then. Uh, and in the future, again, the oxalis, well, oxalis is a little harder because it has uh, than the bed straw because it, it forms an underground storage organ. And that storage organ uh, has food in it. And if you pull the tops off, they will regent, regrow. Oh, just like nutsedge. Yeah. Wow. Oxalis, yeah, has a has a tuber. I have native oxalis in my garden. It makes a lovely mound. Uh, at this time of year, and then it dies to the ground. It disappears for the for the hot part of the year, and then it comes back when it cools off again. Um, well, that this is one of the questions that she asks. She says uh, it, her garden is on a drip irrigation system, and she says if I water stress the bed in hot weather, it knocks it back some. Right. So that's interesting. Right, dies back to that storage organ. Yeah, but you have so many thirsty plants in this garden area. She's going to kill them, too. Yeah. And broadleaf weed killer wouldn't work because she's got broadleaf weeds yeah. in there. Yeah, um, broadleaf plants, yeah. So I, I would pull it out or hoe it out. You'd have to hire someone or, you know, bribe someone or whatever, and then mulch. Uh, even though it will come up again in the mulch, if the mulch is deep enough, the plant will run out of energy before it reaches the top. If the if the mulch isn't deep enough for that, when the plant comes up, it will be weaker and easier to pull out in the future. I have discovered. And the other thing uh, is, she needs to get it identified. Mm. Oxalis looks like clover, looks like uh, metacago, uh, which is burr clover. There are a lot of plants. I don't see a bloom on that. Um, there are a lot of plants that look alike, but basically the control is going to be the same. Weed it out, mulch it, and then you're going to have to weed it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Physical labor. Physical labor. A Keeps good, me young. <laughs> yes. A good sharp hoe is a valuable weapon it to have. It sure is. And sharpening those tools is really, really valuable. Yeah. People forget about sharpening shovels, for Shovels, example. yeah. Yeah. Boy, it makes life easier. I need to uh, give you a, a shovel that a company sent me in the mail. It's called the Root Annihilator. <laughs> All right. Sounds dangerous. It looks like a ditching shovel. It's long and narrow, uh-huh. but it has jagged sides. The, oh, the, the kind of like a hori hori. Yeah, the theory being, as you dig down, it's going to cut the root okay. that you're trying to dig down to hmm. dig a hole. And I go, well, that's interesting. Uh, let's see how it does here in the rocks and roots in my backyard. Yes, yes. you're up in the yeah, hill beginning. In the rocks and root area. And, but So I tell you what, I'll, I'll give you the shovel. You Ooh, can try it out I'm excited. Yourself. All right. We'll take a short break. More of Get Growing on the Way. Got a question? Give us a call, 916-576-1578 or toll free, 866-331-8255. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Mm-hmm. 
Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Hey, we had an answer to <laughs> our question over on the KFBK Garden Show when you first showed up and about the uh, class on teaching uh, DIY food preparation for camping and things. And I mentioned Mirapois. Or right, Mirapois, yeah. Mirapois. And uh, somebody wrote in on the uh, Farmer Fred uh, Get Growing page that Mirapois Pois is diced onions, carrots, and onions, which is used as a base for many dishes. The Holy Trinity is Cajun, which includes onion, celery, and bell peppers. Aha! Uh-huh. I did not know that. So it's varies from... Yes. Yes. That's very interesting. But the uh, picture before that uh, has Mike uh, writing in. He says, Hi, Fred. Can you suggest a way to keep this pest out of my pluot trees? And it's from Mike in Oroville. And, Debbie, I'll show you the picture of the pest in the pluot tree. And uh, <laughs> it's it's a black cat. Yeah. Yes. The uh, kitty cat. Mm-hmm. You know, I found that cats actually do more damage, in my own experience, especially fat overfed cats, to uh, persimmon trees because the branches seem more brittle. And they break them. And they break them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I imagine that uh, in a... Pluot tree, if you've got a cat in a branch in a pluot tree, it really behooves you to be very conscientious about thinning the fruit out so there's not too much weight on the okay. branch. Yeah. My cat goes up into my apricot. Uh, and the other thing I worry about is bird nests. Oh, yeah. Um, but she hasn't done any damage. So, yeah, we, at this stage, I'm sure the cat isn't eating the fruit. It's just probably leaping from branch to branch. Right. And maybe breaking branches. So if I wanted to keep birds. the cat out, I'd probably take some kind of chicken wire or uh, uh, and make a cage around the base of the tree that stood out from the trunk uh, a few inches all the way around and was uh, probably, probably at least three feet tall. And then the cat wouldn't be able to... Uh, get perches on the trunk to, to climb up. And so that goes back to backyard orchard culture, which is uh, the one of the benefits of keeping your fruit tree small, no taller than you can reach. Right. And by growing fruit bushes instead of right. fruit trees, it's much easier to net, to screen, to prune. And to the cat's the not so interested in being up there. <laughs> There's not so much to see. Yeah. And, and also people forget that you can't eat a ton of fruit, folks. Oh, yeah. You don't need a 20-foot fruit tree to get enough fruit for your family. A fruit bush that is only seven feet tall is going to produce enough fruit for you and your family. Ain't that the truth? I can remember Pam Bone saying, and you look forward to harvest, and, and then there's harvest. And you're, you know, it's like <laughs> August, or depending on the tree, and you're loaded with just huge quantities of fruit. And what you know, you can only make so much jam and freeze your freezer's only so big neighbors only take so much yeah you don't limiting the fruit is not a bad idea at all and i always urge people to get a dehydrator yeah i that's something i haven't done and i should with the although the apricot has my apricot has not produced the last two years because we've had rain during pollination i think apricot trees may be coming a sort of an endangered species in our area just our weather patterns uh, keep doing this yeah with the less chill hours it seems every winter and these late winter storms early spring storms Mm -hmm. and uh, the indication is that may be our future Mm -hmm. of less rain but when it does rain it's going to pour right more atmospheric rivers they're calling it i think uh, arc 1000 a r K, meaning atmospheric river K for 1,000, 
What's the last part, the K part? ARK-1000. Okay. So it's like saying 1,000, 1,000. But basically, a, oh, thou- a, a thousand-year storm yes. is going to become more of our future. More common. Mm-hmm. And uh, the flooding that will occur could be tragic mm-hmm. and, and overwhelming. But it's happened before. There's no reason why it can't happen again. Yeah. Okay. We are not in charge. Change Nature the t- is. Let's change the topic to something happier. Okay. I got tomatoes. <laughs> they're not ripe, but oh. they're green. You have them on the vine. Yeah, I have them on the vine. I huh? have flowers. I don't have fruit yet. Okay. Well, I've discovered a trick. You know, this is the beauty of getting older. You get smarter mm-hmm. based on your previous previous mistakes. Previous <laughs> mistakes. Exactly. So you figure out what to do. And it's just a shame that and then you die. Yes. But I discovered that, okay... I can go ahead and buy the tomato plants in early March. Mm-hmm. But what I do then is I immediately transplant them into one-gallon containers of really, really good potting soil. And they take off. Take off, put them in a protected area, maybe mm-hmm. even bring them inside on cold March nights. Mm-hmm. But what I planted into the ground were very healthy tomato plants mm-hmm. that were 12, 14 inches tall. Mm. And wow. And I planted on my birthday, April twenty eighth, uh-huh. and and yet uh, they look great. And so just giving them that intermediate boost, uh, I think a lot of people make the mistake when it comes to they the vegetables they buy. They buy it, they forget about it. It sits in that four inch pot and gets root bound, or that six pack, right? Which is even worse. And uh, they get root bound and they stop growing. They slow down. Have you stressed. put any beans or squash or cucumber in the ground? Mm-mm. No. Nope, not yet. And I'm just getting around to putting the peppers in mm-hmm. uh, because they really like a much warmer soil temperature. Yes, they do. Right now, soil temperatures in the valley are running at about 60 to 63 degrees. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad for tomatoes, but still a little bit on the chilly side yeah, for your... a couple, three more degrees. Yeah, for melons and cucumbers and peppers and all that on the squash. Yeah, speaking of crops that uh, develop way too much... Fruit. <laughs> yeah, and then you try to give them away. A yes. Squash, yes. Remember, you only need one squash plant. But I only ever made up one joke in my life, and it was uh, when you see somebody buying zucchini in the, or summer squash in the, in the store in summer, they have no friends. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Or, or, or you should just carry it around in the car with you, and then when you go to the grocery store and you see those people... You can hand them over. Yeah, you can hand them over and say, hey, come on out to my car. Yeah. I got something for you. Put those back. But that's so true. and uh, But we're coming up to the time when we will be planting squash from seed. Is it really that difficult to transplant members of the cucurbit family, your cucumbers, your squash, uh, your pumpkins, your melons? I wouldn't say it's difficult. It's just that the timing can be wrong. Like you said, people buy them and bring them home and then let them sit. They get root bound very, very, mm-hmm. very, very quickly. If they have five leaves or more, they will never outgrow that. They will never produce fruit. So you want them, when we started them for the plant cell, we would start them maybe two weeks ahead of time. You just want them to have germinated. Well, if that's what you're looking for, then just put the seed in your garden and let it germinate there. Okay, and that's where the problem begins because every instruction you'll see for like planting zucchini, it'll say create a little one-foot-tall hill. hill, put six seeds in a circle. I don't and, know why they do that. And then after they germinate... Thin it down to the strongest one. Which few people will do. Exactly. You know, it, at the worst case is, uh, you know, people leave all six. In my case, 
you know, just for insurance, I'll keep an extra one. Well, so that with two. actually works to the advantage of reducing the crop. Uh, planting two very close together, I have found, reduces the crop. Mm. They, too much competition, I think. And so you don't end up with the car load. <laughs> All right. Well, now, now <laughs> of, taking of, that theory over into the world of pepper plants, and sometimes when you buy a pepper plant at a nursery, there's actually two pepper plants. Oh, I've there. had that with tomatoes, too. Okay. Yeah. All right. In those cases, I want to remove that second plant because it will uh, compete with the other one and, and reduce your production. Okay. I know what I'm doing when I get home then. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I thought... I got a bargain. I got two for one. Now, I guess you could tease it out of that container you can try. And, and plant it. I might do the, the I might have a bucket of water and uh, put the root ball in the bucket of water and swish it around, holding the plant by the leaves, not mm-hmm. by the stems, to help separate the roots. Water is a nice uh, lubricant, mm-hmm. and it will help separate the roots without damaging them. Um, so you have three hands? Is this how you do it? You well, my octopus comes out. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. So, or a, a, a kitty litter box or something that's shallow where you can put the water in and let the oh, the root okay. ball that's soak. An idea and and pull out. There's the no one. kitty litter in the box though. No, it's just water. Okay, so you actually I use kitty litter boxes for potting up for mixing media. I use them for a lot of stuff. They're good they're nice and shallow and yeah. wide. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good tips. We're full of it. Give us a call. Got a garden question. Bus drugs work too. <laughs> like they use a, in restaurants, you know, to bus your table. They have those big plastic things. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, like a dish. Can't uh, bus contain. drugs is what they're technically called. Bus trugs. Trugs. T r u g s. Trugs. Yeah. Is that a real word? Yeah. Trugs. Yeah. I'll play that on words with friends. You better be right. Oh, boy. All Pressure's right. on now. Dish trugs. Bus trugs. Bus trugs. Yeah, that's what we bought it, at school. Is bus trugs one word? No. Oh, darn. That'd be worth more points. I don't think it is. All right. Right now I have to okay. look. All right. Well, anyway, we need to take a break, and then we come back with more. You'll find out why I'm mad. When we come back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. You know, one thing I thought we might do this morning is to take a a look at a little bit of the history of garden writing in the Sacramento Bee. And it really started many years ago, perhaps the late 1940s or so, when Iva Gard Shepherd was the community colonist for the Sacramento Bee. And for something like 30 years, she championed gardening in our area. And by the way, the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, where many garden clubs hold their meetings, where there are many uh, plant sales as well. The Shepherd Garden and Arts Center is named after Iva Gard Shepherd. So after Iva Gard Shepherd came Dick Tracy, and he became the bee garden columnist and garden photographer back in the 1970s. And he also championed and told the stories of local gardeners, their successes, and their challenges. Dick is still alive, taking pictures and writing, helping other area gardeners tell their story, such as his work on the book Troll Knoll, a garden like no other. This is a 20-acre world-class garden that belongs to a foothill gardener supreme by the name of John Morris. The book is lavishly illustrated, along with Dick's excellent descriptions of the garden and the story of that slightly eccentric gardener who oversees the Troll Knoll. When Dick left the Bee, Dick was followed by Dan Vieira as the garden writer at the Sacramento Bee. Dan is still alive and well. He's an avid gardener and a master gardener volunteering at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center in the vegetable garden area there. 
And he's also their digital expert. He works on maintaining the Sacramento County Master Gardener Facebook page. And if it's one thing we know about Dan Vieira, he loves tomatoes. And in the unofficial annual race to see which local gardener can produce the earliest outdoor homegrown tomatoes, I remember Dan famously once said, cherry tomatoes don't count. That's right, only full-size tomatoes count. Yes, Dan is a tomato snob, but we're glad we know Dan Vieira. Following Dan Vieira at the Sacramento Bee Garden Writing Desk was Pat Rubin, and she was also willing to lend a helping hand to local gardeners and their endeavors. One of her projects, including helping as garden copy editor and organizational manager supreme for the book The Art of Real Food, Seasonal Recipes for Every Week of the Year. It's an excellent book written by Joanne Neft and Laura Kenny, who were early boosters of the Placer Grown movement, urging people to eat locally. And yes, they were part of the inspiration for the entire farm-to-fork movement that the Sacramento area has embraced. And by the way, that book, The Art of Real Food, it has a permanent spot on our kitchen cookbook shelf because it lays out on a seasonal basis which locally grown foods ripen when, accompanied by very delicious recipes. So you may want to check out that book, The Art of Real Food. Following Pat Rubin at the Sacramento Bee Garden Desk, Debbie Arrington. She took over the job in 2008. She endeared herself to local gardeners with her thorough research and profiles of local area gardeners and their gardens. And if one could sum up succinctly the thrust of Debbie's garden articles in the Bee for the last decade, I I think it would have to be, you can grow that too. She was a big booster of expanding your garden palette in the pages of the Bee, showing us that there's a much bigger plant world available for local gardeners. And along the way, the Sacramento Bee Garden writer, Debbie Arrington, won the 2015 Silver Award of Achievement from the Garden Writers Association of America for her descriptive and entertaining Sacramento Bee newspaper column writing. Now, you may have noticed I I used the word was in describing Debbie Arrington's work at the Sacramento Bee. Well, yesterday, if you read the Bee on May the 5th, Debbie had her final series of garden articles, columns, and calendar events in yesterday's Home and Garden section. Debbie, along with about two dozen other bee staffers, primarily feature writers, photographers, and editors, were recently laid off. Not for any shortcomings on their part, oh no, these people were solid professionals in what they do. As you'll hear, it was a business decision by the bee. Unfortunately, the bee did not allow Debbie to say goodbye in print to her longtime readers yesterday. And in my mind, that just is not right. The local garden community, and that includes you, the listeners of this show, we're all really just a large, friendly family trading garden plants and garden secrets and garden tips and garden problems. And when one of us leaves, well, it's only polite to say goodbye. So I reached out to Debbie Arrington yesterday and asked if she had any words that she'd like to share with you, our listeners, as well as her Sacramento Bee readers. And this is what she said. I want to thank all our readers. I feel like I have thousands of friends I've never met in person. They know me and appreciate my work. Because of them, I wanted to keep writing about gardening at the Bee. But in reorganization, the new editor and management decided to go in another direction, cut costs, and concentrate remaining staff almost exclusively on hard news. I wish them all the best. There will still be home and garden pages in Saturday's Bee, and readers will be able to see several of their old favorites, such as Debbie Travis and other home news, but the section will have a much more home slant than garden in the near future. So there will be a place for local advertisers. I also thank them for their support. 
And because of the advertisers, I want to say, that's why we had a home and garden section in the first place and for so long. And I really appreciate them for doing what they did and their support. Uh, it's been a good run. Uh, I've been at the Bee since 1999. I took over Home and Garden in October 2008, so it was almost a decade of Sacramento garden writing. I met hundreds of interesting, passionate gardeners and had the opportunity to see some amazing gardens. I learned a lot, too, because gardeners are generous, not only with the bounty of their gardens, but their time and knowledge. For that, I will always be most appreciative. I may no longer be a staff member at the Bee, but I'll still be gardening in Sacramento and writing about it, too. This is a gardening community with an intense interest in growing things, be it food, flowers, or trees. There's still a need for this information and storytelling, and I plan to be part of it. I really believe there's a need for an outlet where we can share our experiences. You need to talk to other gardeners and know what they're experiencing. Or you may notice something and you wonder, is other people seeing the same thing like the, the stink bugs that came in? Those were a totally foreign pest to our area. And they all of a sudden came here. And, you know, if you Google them, it would say, well, these are things that are native to Southeast Asia. You're not supposed to be seeing them in the Fremont Garden in Sacramento. But we know about that because we have local gardeners who share their experiences. And it's, we call it garden news. You know, and I still think there's a place for garden news in Sacramento, and I hope to be part of that sometime. Since this is all, this experience is all very fresh to me, I haven't worked out what we're going to do and what the details are, but you know, we're going to make this happen. And there will be a place for garden news someplace in the future here in Sacramento. In the meantime, I'm really going to enjoy my garden this summer, and I hope everybody has a great summer and lots of beautiful roses and tomatoes. Once again, Debbie Arrington, Sacramento Bee garden writer, food writer, sports writer, and and the occasional obituary writer, was let go from the bee, along with nearly two dozen other bee writers, photographers, and editors. As Debbie mentioned, the bee will continue to run some garden articles in the Saturday paper. But will those articles be of a local nature, or will they be syndicated garden stories from around the country? We don't know. One thing I do know, though, and you know as well, All gardening is local. We're going to keep our end of the bargain here on the radio shows. We're going to keep local gardening alive and well. Debbie Arrington, by the way, is far from dead or retired. As she mentioned, she'll be reappearing soon in a digital creation, perhaps a very active Facebook page, maybe a website and a blog. And we'll have her on the show as soon as she has all that firmed up so she can talk about it. So getting the word out about local gardening isn't ending. It's just evolving. Still, Not having Saturday breakfast accompanied by the garden stories written by Debbie Arrington will take some getting used to. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Glad to have Debbie Flower here answering your toughest garden questions at 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255 email. Sure, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Back to the phones we go. Roberta in Garden Valley. Thanks for holding. Good morning, fellow green thumbs. (laughs) Good morning. We're we're, we're trying, yes. (laughs) Better than a sore thumb. That's a carpenter. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, I'm doing a container garden. Mm-hmm. Because of my disabilities, 
and uh, the large containers are going to be on a concrete patio in front of my house. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at different potting soils, and my local um, hardware store just had some um, moisture guard pot soils, and I, I think it probably has a polymer in it. Right. Yeah. Probably and I does. Was, and I was thinking, well... I know for um, containers, uh, you have to water frequently. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if such a potting soil like that would be beneficial for the vegetables I'm going to be planting. The, the first question I would have is, where is the water going to go when it leaves the pot? Uh, out holes, and I'm putting the containers on two-by-fours so it has drainage. All right. Perfect. But then what happens, the water then basically goes onto the concrete, right? Yes. And then trails off somewhere. Right, towards the driveway. Towards the driveway. Are you willing to live with permanent stains on your concrete? <laughs> oh, there's already permanent stains <laughs> right. there. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm just pointing out that when people design patios, I wish they would put in drain holes or some sort of drainage so people could place containers on a concrete patio or whatever patio, a redwood deck, just to mitigate that issue. Well, it's not a a, a fancy patio. I live out in the boondocks. Okay, well, yeah, that's fine. And, you know, I'm jealous. But it, it, as long as uh, as long as you don't care, then my my question is solved as far as where the water goes. And uh, Debbie, what about these polymers? Uh, it sounds like just the innards of diapers. That yeah, is they, there are polymers that are added to uh, uh, container soil, and it's sold as a moisture something or other. They're moisture yeah. is usually in the title. Uh, and yeah. it is a similar product to what it, you find in diapers or used a lot in in the medical field uh for band-aids and that sort of thing uh in in women's sanitary supplies to absorb moisture and and it does do that uh they have the ability to absorb huge quantities of moisture but the more fertilizer uh salts is the technical term but fertilizers are salts the more fertilizers you have the less water those super absorbents are uh able to absorb although they still do absorb water and then they, as the uh, media around it becomes dry, the, the, the uh, superabsorbents give up their, or polymer, same, I'm using uh, superabsorbent to refer to the polymer, uh, gives up the moisture to the container soil around it. Um, and they're, they're not a bad thing. They're somewhat expensive. It makes the media more expensive. They, the polymers don't last forever. So next year you may need to do, uh, find it, container media changes over time anyway it breaks down it becomes more compacted and so over time you have to refresh it in some way dig it out and refill it or uh maybe add some some larger particles uh i'm a fan of using perlite or pumice something that is rock based that won't break down very quickly to maintain more openings in an organic matter uh, over time, it gives you a little more life out of that organic matter, and the superabsorbents play that role when they're fresh, when they're new, because they swell up, and so they make a large particle in that soil. But it won't last more than probably one year. Um, so it's okay. it, 
it's useful. It's not a bad thing. It, it's limited by how much fertilizer you have, and it won't last forever. But it, you know, you can do it. Yeah. Does it rise to the surface like perlite, though? No. Okay. My experience is not. It does not. All right. Wonderful. Um, yeah, the local uh, hardware store has a big sale on it right now, so I was wondering. That would be the time to get it. Yep. Okay. Is, is there a danger uh, of it holding too much water for too long? No. Okay. Uh, okay, good. Yeah, and because when it holds the water, it's out of the matrix of the soil. It's in this particle, and then it gives it back up to the media. But you're still going to have to, you know, water... Uh, a, a water meter would have to be recalibrated if you were using that to judge when to add water. Um, yeah. You're going to have to watch, have a a sentinel plant. Uh, I don't know what it would be. There's always one plant that wilts first, uh, and that would be mm-hmm. your sentinel plant. And then you would know it's time to, to water. Maybe Very a basil or something. Yeah. They, they also use the polymers for the fire retardants and stuff. Oh, okay. So I didn't know that. I used oh, it yeah. once. I made a planter out of a hollow section of log, and I stapled landscape fabric on the bottom, and then I uh, filled the container with... I had my own super absorbent, so that I chose the amount that I mixed into my container media, poured it in, planted, watered, went to bed, got up the next day and came out, and the log had split because <laughs> I had used too much super absorbent. Too much. And it had swelled up, yes. Well, that's good drainage. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I have a uh, suggestion for the cat in the tree. Yes, the cat in the pluot tree we were talking about earlier. Yeah, or anything else that likes to climb a trunk. Uh-huh. Uh, paint some tangle fit on it. Oh, yeah, they wouldn't like that. Also, no, bir- they would not like that. <laughs> the problem is birds might get tangled in it um, and no, just, get stuck to just, the feathers. Just, just, just put it on the trunk. The birds like to go to the branches. Yeah. As they climb the trunk, they're going to hit that sticky stuff, and they're going to drop to the ground. <laughs> okay. There you go. Roberta, always good All to right. hear from you. Thank you. All right. Thank All you right. so much, Okay, bye-bye. Bye. I saw a, a cute video yesterday on Twitter, I think it was, where somebody had oiled the pole of their bird feeder, bird feeder on top, Mm-hmm. Keep that the squirrel out. Squirrel tried to climb up this greased pole and just slid right back mm-hmm. down. Try it again, slid right back down. But then, of course, and this is always the danger of Twitter, you start reading the comments. And all these people came out and talked about, you know, the dangers of using oil, the fact that a bird could get stuck to it on its wings, and then this argument took place of, okay, which bird is going to attach itself to a pole of a bird feeder because a bird needs a thir- certain thickness mm-hmm. of a brand, mm-hmm. it just it just you know denigrated into usual things that make me not want to go mm-hmm. back on Twitter. Well, and people, we don't necessarily know what a bird would do. We're not a bird. Yeah, you have to be a wildlife biologist or a bird biologist to have a better understanding of what the bird would actually do. Yeah, and then of course the environmental uh, situation of of oil anyway right but anyways a cute video of watching the squirrel try to <laughs> climb the pole and slide right back down and mm-hmm. he deserved it mm-hmm. so there all right yeah would you have any tips for squirrel control <laughs> no i my dad feeds the squirrels oh he has sumo wrestler squirrels at his house uh, and there's a tree nearby with a hollow core that they it's like watching the clown car 
all these squirrels just keep coming out, coming out, coming out, coming out. So they're living in the trunk of the tree. And I woke up one morning and I could see the roof of the garage and there the sun was on it. And they're all sprawled out on the roof <laughs> getting their suntans. And then they're all in the feeder. Uh, it was a, a pet peeve of my grandfather's to keep them out. And, and, you know, there's just a zillion things out there that you can try, like yeah. oil or like a flat pan uh, underneath the feeders so that when they climb up from below, they can't get around that, like a round cookie sheet kind of thing. Pruning back branches, they can jump, they can leap oh, long yes. distances, yeah. Yeah. and they can climb things. So they're very uh, difficult to, to uh, keep out. Yeah, good luck on that and don't feed them. Right. It's like people who feed turkeys. And then Don't you feed the turkeys. If you feed the birds, you use certain types of feeders so that the the squirrels can't get into them. Yes, good luck on that too. Right? Yeah, it's uh, cause they we, find their way, man. My dad has one that closes up when a certain amount of weight gets on the on the deck, and the squirrel hangs from the top. It has one yeah. foot around the thing, and then gets the food that way. When we come back, it's Garden Grappler time. You might pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet on Get Growing here on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Hey, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet if you know your bugs. Now, last week we talked about uh, name a a beneficial insect or pollinator. That was last week's. This week, name a plant that attracts a beneficial insect or pollinator. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Just look for the sentence that says, A clue for the garden grappler, which in true is not a sentence because it doesn't contain a verb, but it's there. Also at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, where beneath the picture of today's guest, Debbie Flower, you will find a link to the clue that can provide you with answers to the question, name a plant that attracts a beneficial insect or pollinator. And once again, grammarians, that is not a question. That is a declarative sentence because it does not have an interrogative pronoun. Still, name a plant that attracts a beneficial insect or pollinator. The numbers to call in, 916-576-1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. Have a backup answer. Somebody might take your plant away from you. So, as you know, uh, all five callers win a prize, but they all have to be different answers. That's why caller five has it toughest of all. Terry, you ready in there? Terry's ready to tackle the phones. Are you ready to tackle the phone? Name a plant that attracts a beneficial insect or pollinator. And Debbie Flower is here, horticultural consultant, Mm -hmm. former college professor of horticulture. Mm -hmm. Tell us about why that plant is so important to attract beneficial insects or pollinators. What is it about plants with no bad bugs on it, if you will, that is so important for to be in the garden to attract the beneficials? Well, the beneficials are living things just like we are, and they need the things living things need to live, which includes habitat, a place to live, uh, something to drink, and food. And typically the... Uh, uh, Plants that attract them provide uh, mostly it's the food, mm-hmm. uh, the the pollen or the nectar uh, that that insect needs to survive. Now, some people would say, well, well, I thought they just lived off a diet of bad bugs. 
Well, that's a protein source, Mm -hmm. but they also need a sugar source, Mm. and that comes from the plant. Okay, the nectar. The nectar, And, of course, they need a place to nest, if you will. A place to hide or sleep for the night. Yeah. Go out in the morning, and you'll find, uh, you might find uh, insects asleep in your flowers or in the plants, and they they do need a place to sleep, And, and these plants provide that. The right. structure, the, uh, and it's protective, so they won't be eaten by something else. And different plants attract different beneficials. Yes. All right. So think about that one. Give us a call. Name a plant that attracts a beneficial insect or pollinator. The numbers to call, 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. And while you're ruminating on that one, let's delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Lynn writes in, and says, I want to add some mulch to my vegetable bed. I discovered a cat litter made from compressed newsprint made into small pellets. The ingredients are post-consumer recycled paper, zeolite, and baking soda. It absorbs water and holds it really well. What do you think? Well, off the top of my head, I'd say, yeah, the cats are going to love it. (laughs) And you don't want cat poop in your garden. But, Debbie, tell us about baking soda and zeolite baking soda has a high ph it's a salt and so that's that's going to raise the ph of your soil which could limit the nutrients available to your plants can be at a very high quantity it would be very damaging to plants um so that's not a good idea and the zeolite is a is like a mineral it's a uh acts somewhat like a clay um and in that it it has what we call cation exchange capacity, uh, meaning it can attract and hold on to nutrients or ions and release them into the water uh, that flows over to the plant. Uh, I don't know a lot about zeolite, but I, I, I and I don't know a lot about the paper that's being used in this kitty litter. So I apparently kitty made, litter is kitty litter, yeah. and I wouldn't use it in my garden. Apparently it, it's post-consumer recycled paper, so I guess it's made out of dead consumers. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. And so, But basically, you know, what's wrong with just good old mulch? Right. Just good old, like you were talking earlier about uh, getting those tree trimmings from your local arborist and have them just dump yes. it in your driveway and shovel it on the areas where it needs to be. Yep. The only warning I would have uh, for you in that case would know where those trimmings came from. Ask about the tree that they took down. Ask about if it had problems or not. I'm not worried about that. Um, all the research that's been done on it, and I don't know that it's been a lot, but indicates that there, no diseases have been transmitted in this method. What about pests? They get destroyed in the in the chipping process. And when it comes, it's usually live trees. It's not always, but it's right, usually yeah. live trees. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the last one I got was a pine tree. Uh, it's moist. It's got some green, in this case from the needles, and brown from the wood. And it composts. It, it builds up heat very quickly. I love a steaming mulch pile yes, in the morning. And that kills a lot of things. The, uh, but my one caveat would be have dust masks. Mm. Uh, I received the delivery on Monday, and my husband and I started moving it on Friday, and it was f- completely full of a gray mold, a, a fungus. See, that's a good thing, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's breaking down the, the wood, but we breathed it in, 
and we both were sick for about 24 hours. Wow. Yeah, we were stupid. We didn't put on masks. Yeah, one would not think of doing that. No, it didn't occur to me. I now have them. Yeah. I have them in the garage where I know where to get them, and half the pile's been moved, and I still have to move the other half, and I will wear a mask, just a dust mask over my face and nose. I wear glasses. I would protect my eyes as well. And so it's not a special mask. It's just what you could find at the hardware store right. for what for painting, for example. Right, yes. Okay. So, and all right, that's one good. And have you tried it to see if it happened again? I have not. I assume over time, as the pile gets smaller, uh, as it dries out, uh, the the mold uh, composition will change uh, because they need certain temperatures, they need certain amount of moisture, they need certain fuel, the plant being the fuel. Uh, but I haven't dug into it to see what it's doing right now. All right. That, that's the, the only tree that I would not accept would be a liquid amber tree because those little balls you'll get those babies yeah those little balls manage to survive a tree chipper shredder machine Mm -hmm. and can come out intact and you spread those they're gonna root you do get stuff yeah you do get stuff in portland uh oregon when i first did this it was sweepings from the street and i got a lot of roses i got a lot of rose canes and all of a sudden i had all these new roses in my garden uh here i got a casuarina uh germinated in my yard is that a mountain she oak yep yeah and it grew right next to a maple so i i thought well i if i want to keep this tree i gotta move it now i moved it when it was about 18 inches tall and now it's probably almost 10 feet tall uh it's doing very well uh so yes you absolutely do get stuff you have to be prepared for that but because you're using mulch it's pretty easy to pull things out and like you say, when you leave it in a pile for a couple of weeks, the heat generated by, yes. by that pile, which could reach 130, 140 degrees, kills a lot of parasites or yes. pathogens. And if you want to be really uh, uh, good about it, you would turn the pile periodically because the outside stuff is not going to experience that heat. And if that's I, where I would get the <laughs> seeds. Or oh, You don't get many rose cuttings in a chipping. They, they get all chipped to, to, to death. Um, you know how many yards one of those chipper shredder trucks holds? <laughs> That's like eight yards. Yes. Eight yards. And you, you're you going to go out there every few days and turn that pile? No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I said, if you want to be good about it, okay. you go for it. All right. No, you'd have to have like a big piece of property and a big piece of equipment. Uh, yeah. No, I don't do it. Um, yeah, you don't have a Kubota tractor. Do no, you? I do not. No. Okay. No. <laughs> no. But if you really want to do it. But there... Soil has uh, microorganisms living in it, and certain microorganisms support the growth of, of green leafy things like grasses and herbaceous weeds, uh, like the, we were talking about bed straw earlier, uh, and somebody else had oxalis. Those would be green leafy weeds. If, if you change the microorganism population in the soil, then the types of plants that will grow most vigorously will change. And if you add a lot of wood, woody, and it's just on the surface, you're not burying it, uh, woody mulch, the microorganism population in the soil actually changes and it supports woody plants better than it supports herbaceous plants. And so you actually cut back on your weed population uh, in that way, as well as just burying seeds so when they germinate, they never see the light of day. So even though you will import a couple of minor things here and there, uh, in your by getting a a, a, a load of arborist mulch, uh, you will have way fewer weeds. Amen and FM to that. Yeah, that's all we want.
fewer weeds, mm-hmm. still somehow liquid ambers still pop up this time of year. In the I'm yard. getting a well, two of my neighbors have platinus. Uh, the sycamores or yes. London plane trees. And I am seeing lots of babies coming up in my yard. Do you hoe them out? I just pull them with my fingers, yeah. Yeah. It's that nightly walk through the yard, that is so critical, especially now when things are really actively growing. You want to get those weeds when they're young. This is what leads to gardening ADD. <laughs> you go out to the yard with a specific purpose in mind. Let's say, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to water my young transplants over mm-hmm. here. All right. You're on your way out there. All of a sudden, you see that liquid amber popping mm-hmm. up. And you go, okay, I'm going to pull out these liquid ambers. Now you have this handful of liquid amber cuttings in your hand. Okay, I'm going to go put these in the bucket. So you're walking over to the bucket, and then you start saying that, oh, look, there, there's... There's some bed straw. There, got to get some, that. Got to get that. And then you go, oh, look, there's some snap peas or whatever I need to harvest. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, it's dark, and you haven't watered the transplants yet. Mm-hmm. Well, I go out you know, just to sit on the porch and... No, you can't just do no, that. No, you can't. I got a deadhead that iris over there, yes. and then the cat shows up. Oh, I got to pet the cat, and then, yeah. The, oh, I got to get that weed. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a disease. It is. All right, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll get to your five answers. Each of you have one answer. Five people, one answer each. Name a plant that attracts a beneficial insect or pollinator. One open line at five seven six one five seven eight in the nine one six. As we continue with get growing on Talk six fifty KSTE. Get growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's get to your garden grappler answers. Name a plant that attracts a beneficial insect or pollinator. Debbie Flower, the official mm-hmm. judge and jury for this competition. Don in West Sacramento, go ahead, give us one of those good plants. Uh, jasmine. Jasmine. Yes. Debbie? I'm thinking Thanks. here. What do you, Don? What do you see on the jasmine that is uh, make you, makes you think it attracts beneficials? It's covered with flowers. Yeah, it's covered with flowers. Right. But do you see any beneficial insects on the plant? Bees. You see bees. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. That's yes. A, and the question was: Name a plant that attracts a beneficial insect or a pollinator. A bee is a pollinator. Yes. All right. There we go. It, it took some teeth pulling, Don, but we got it. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. I'll be sending you uh, some good handouts from our friends at Our Water, Our World on how to control snails and slugs and how to control aphids in your garden. So that'll be coming your way. Thanks, Don. Thanks for uh, showing us your jasmine. All right. Uh, Tina in Rio Linda, go ahead. Give us a plant that attracts beneficials or pollinators. Rosemary. Uh-huh. Bees. I, bees. Yeah, lots in, of bees. In the wintertime, too. Lots of yeah. times of the year. Yeah, but rosemaries especially have those nice uh, bluish-violet flowers from October through March when other blooming plants are rare, and the bees love it than if it's a warm enough day for them to be out. Yeah, rosemary, good answer. Hey, Tina, I'll be sending you that stuff. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Let's go down to San Diego, talk with Karen. Karen, go ahead, give us a beneficial plant, if you will, a plant that attracts beneficials or pollinators. How about Queen Anne's Lace? Oh, absolutely. Docus Corona, Mm -hmm. or my Sharona. I forget which is the proper name. (laughs) Mine's seeded around this year. I have lots of babies coming up. All right, Queen Anne's Lace, which is an umbel. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
from what I understand about umbels, they're very popular in the pollinator community because they are, if you will, flat flowers, mm-hmm. and they don't have a long proboscis, so it's easy for them to get to the source of pollen. And they can walk around and get lots of different flowers in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And frankly, it's a weed, but it's a nice weed. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Queen Anne's Lace. Good answer, Karen. So I'll be sending you from Our World, Our Water, or is it Our Water, Our World, uh, how to control snails and slugs and controlling aphids in your garden. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. All right. Caller number four in today's Garden Grappler up in Penn Valley. It's Sally. Hi, Sally. Good morning. Good morning. So go go ahead. Give us one of those darn nice plants. Well, um, I have a um, milkweed is mm-hmm. come to mind. Okay, mm-hmm. stop right there. Stop, yeah, stop right there. Yes. Milk, milk right, but we have to find out from Debbie first whether yes, you yes, can keep talking. Yes. Okay, <laughs> yes. Milkweed, and I'm blanking on the genus. Sclepia. Sclepia, yeah. yes. Yes, I was wondering how you pronounced that, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to, I need, I need to uh, issue a warning to anybody who's going to plant this. It's a very invasive. Takes over, got, yeah. Which one do you have? Um, it's the tall, gray-leaved one. I don't know the variety. Big, big round leaves, sort of? Um, well, they're more... Oval? Uh, elongated, yes. And pinkish flowers? Yes. Yes, mine is... Start with one plant, and now I have a huge... <laughs> they, they travel underground. They did. Oh, they went clear under a path over into the other side of my garden. It was unbelievable wow. in one year. Wow. Isn't the common name for Asclepia butterfly weed? Yes. Yeah, okay, that's why. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I got this from the Master Gardeners, but nobody told me. <laughs> <laughs> surprise. Yes, it was a surprise. But I did have more monarch butterflies last summer oh, than good. I have ever had before. There you go. So you it, got yourself a... Worth it. You got yes, a, it you, you got a good bug hotel in your yard. It's worth it, and I'm digging up, giving it away to everybody. I bet you are. <laughs> and you're warning them, right? I yes. am warning them. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. They That's, also seed oh. around, so the other part is to cut the flower heads when before right. they throw their seed. Yeah. Wow. All right. right. Hey, Sally. Good answer. Everybody. I'll be sending you, you uh, that stuff. I appreciate that stuff. All right. Thank you. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye bye. All right, let's head up to Mountain Ranch. Hello, Dante. Hi. Dante, I tell you what, if you can come up with a plant that attracts a beneficial or a pollinator that isn't a jasmine, a rosemary, a Queen Anne's lace, or a milkweed, I have for you a wonderful uh, book called The Homeowner's Guide to Water Smart Landscaping. Mm. Oh, thank you. I love that. But you just got to give us an answer, that's all. Okay, uh, mine is going to be the ficus and the little wasp that makes it prosper. That's interesting. Okay, now there is one variety of a fig tree, the Smyrna fig, that does attract this little pollinating wasp. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's only this one particular fig variety. Mm -hmm. And that's all it does is that. Yeah, it's it's one Pollinate that wasp. It's a sad life. For this wasp, yes, it is, especially <laughs> for the for the boys. Yeah, it, it crawls yeah, in. I know. I, my botany teacher told me the story of them, and I quit eating figs because every time I got to the crunchy part, I thought I was eating the wasp. Well, that's uh, like I said, it's only be a Smyrna fig that that would happen with. Well, can I choose that one, or did I? Miss well, that's part? up to Debbie. I don't know. Oh, 
Sure. Okay. Debbie's well, easy today. Yeah. No, yeah, it, it, it's today. true. It is a pollinating wasp. It is a pollinating yeah. wasp. Yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. a pretty amazing relationship. Really? And yeah. the, the boy crawls really in the flower and then uh, gets trapped and dies inside. Well, he's, right. he arrives in the flower as an egg. Yeah. And ah. then is hatched ah. in the flower, impregnates the females before while they're still in the egg, and then the male dies. Where does the female go? Then they emerge, carry the pollen with them. How do they get out and the boy can't get out? The it's a timing thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, that the, the, the black widow scenario. Yep, yep. Yep. Just like real life. All uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey Dante, I'll be sending you that uh, prize, the homeowner's guide to water smart landscaping. Thanks. All right, Love Dante. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you, bye. And Debbie Flower, I appreciate you uh, making the trip down to the old radio place and sure thing. talking the tough questions with us. Uh, I want I want people though to go uh, to your website and look at the hint for today's um, uh, garden grappler because those plants if you're looking for plants to put into your garden uh, there's a list of those that attract beneficials and and they you can make your garden relatively self-sustaining pest wise if you plant something from each category and 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 get the beneficials to come do your pest control for you. It's a wonderful list of plants. So thank you for doing that, Fred. Sure. It's called Plants That Attract Beneficial Insects. It's actually posted at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page. You can find a link to it besides that, that link that says a clue for the garden grappler. You can uh, see the link as well uh, during the list on that list of uh, blog postings. But again, if you just uh, actually do a Google search of the phrase plants that attract beneficial insects and Farmer Fred, you're going to get this article about the good bugs the plants they love. And what I really like about it is the fact that it shows the pictures of not only the adult beneficials, but what they look like as babies or teenagers. Which often is kind of frightening. Yes, exactly. You and want to kill it, but you shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, some of them look like uh, caterpillars, but really they're not. And it's uh, right. So just check out, if nothing else, just check out the, uh, the pictures, the immature life stages of these various good guys so you don't accidentally kill them. And then at the bottom, you make the comment to make the plantings four foot by four foot. Uh, to 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 best attract beneficials, it may take time to get a a patch that size, but the bigger the patch, the better. Exactly, it's like those neon signs by the freeway that right. you see. If yeah. they were tiny, you wouldn't miss see them. But yeah, when they're, they're huge, not tiny. They, yes, the, the bugs they attract see them. your attention. Same thing. Yep. Debbie, you want to uh, promote your new book, your website, your... Um... <laughs> nope. Just appreciate being here. Oh, I'm glad you're here. Sharing good gardening information, uh, scientifically based, experience-based, local gardening. It's uh, That news seems to be getting uh, less and less disseminated, less and less, and do what I can to help it. Thank you. Going. Yes, we'll keep plugging away as well, long as you. they let us. And uh, come, why don't you come back this summer? Sounds like a plan. All right, good. Debbie Flower. We'll take a short break. When we come back, uh, speaking of horticultural heroes, we'll be talking with Warren Roberts from the UC Davis Arboretum, finding out what's in bloom out there as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Every month we like to talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum, and this is an especially hectic time. It's high spring, so many plants in bloom. I think we went through about 20 or 21 plants over on the KFBK Garden Show, Warren, but that's about maybe half the list of plants that are putting on a great show right now at the Arboretum, and in fact throughout Northern California. 
So let's uh, pick up where we left off and uh, keep on looking at the pretty flowers. Let's do. I want to mention that the, probably the most spectacular group of plants in the arboretum right now are, are our roses. They're hybrids, mainly hybrids and species, fragrant and beautiful. The California poppy is, is still in full bloom, still beautiful. And keep in mind that that's a perennial, so when it starts looking a little ratty, don't pull it up. Just clip it off, give the area a little bit of water, and it'll come back. Kind of weak growth, but nice little yellow flowers all summer. Our state flower, GM, is a group of rose uh, relatives. In fact, they look like tiny roses. Kind of like a cross between a strawberry and a rose in appearance. And I, I figure that the reason they're called GM is somebody tried to figure out, so what should we call this? <laughs> anyway, it's a good perennial. For, I've, I've uh, fallen in love with it. It usually comes in yellow, orange, or red. Glandularia species, the verbenas, uh, they've given, been given a new name, but they're forming beautiful, spectacular uh, pat, uh, patches of color right now. The one grevillea that I'll mention is called bonfire with pure red translucent flowers. It's kind of a medium-sized sprawling shrub, but amazing flowers. Ponomania, the Mexican poppy, kind of like if California poppy went to college, I guess. <laughs> it blooms all year, and it's uh, not really a shrub, but it's larger than, certainly larger than California poppy, and pure yellow flowers, sometimes called Mexican tulip poppy. The irises are in bloom now, all kinds of irises. Well, I've always loved irises, but this is the time of year to look at them. Justicia spicigera, the mohint leaf from Guatemala, the leaves are used for bluing in laundry, and it has uh, pretty green velvety leaves and bright orange flowers. If you like orange, it's, it would be a good one for your garden. Mm. On the other side of the color wheel, uh, Lavangela stoicos, the Spanish lavender with its uh, purple bracts. It is spectacular right now, and that one seeds around a little bit in the garden in a nice way. Uh, there's a variegated form of the common hedge privet, Ligustrum ovalifolium variegatum, with its leaves and then later on soon its flowers. It forms a luminous cloud in the garden, kind of a light green, a beautiful thing. A catclaw vine, Macfediana unguiscati from South America, almost too rambunctious, but if you have a, a chain link fence someplace you want to cover with a vine, this would be a good one. Bright yellow flowers this time of year. The uh, Mexican primrose is in full bloom now. It's just in full bloom. One of the Philadelphia's Natchez with white flowers is like a white cloud in the garden now. There's a polygola, polygola fruticosa, petite butterflies, small shrubby plant with lavender flower. Well, I see lavender pink flowers, I guess. That one I would watch if you put it in the garden. I've noticed it's seeding around a little bit too rambunctiously for me, but it's a pretty little thing. The Flomuses, the Jerusalem Sages, mainly yellow, but there are also pink ones. The Penstemon, both are uh, native Penstemon heterophylla, which is uh, purple and blue, and then the other Penstemons. I like Penstemons. They tend to flop, but they are beautiful. Pyracanthas in full bloom. The Geraniums, the Pelargoniums are in full bloom. Uh, Puya spathacea, a pineapple relative with uh, red, uh, coral red stems and dark green flowers. Hummingbirds love it. What was that one again? Puya spathacea. Comes from um, sort of western central um, Argentina, but it's perfectly hardy here. 
the sages, so many salvias and sages in bloom. I won't mention separate ones, but just know that the genus is doing its thing right now. Elderberries, the Sambucus, full bloom now, and the Scabiosa, which is the pincushion flower, both perennial ones and short-lived perennial ones, and Trichostema linatum, which is a Californian native shrublet with beautiful velvety purple flowers, and last but not least, Verbena rigida, still called a Verbena verbena. Uh, <laughs> verbena rigida is a bit too rambunctious for most gardens, but if you have a place that want, where you want uh, purpley flowers, it's, it's really a, a tough and easy plant. It doesn't need much water either. Well, what is the difference then between the Verbena rigida and the Glandularia verbena <laughs> that you mentioned earlier? You know, that's a good question, and it's one I don't know the answer to. It might be that uh, they looked at the, um, the genetic information of the plant and said, whoops, these are quite different, but they're still in the same family. <laughs> Actually, the verbena family, I think, has been moved into the mint family. Verbena is still a good common name, and most references call them verbenas. One plant I would like to put a plug in that's uh, a show for the nose, and it's showing its nose right now, and that is the banana shrub, formerly the Michaelia figo, and I think that's been renamed the Magnolia figo. Magnolia figo, it's, it's a nice medium-sized shrub, very well-behaved, kind of formal, kind of reminds you of a camellia in a way. And, and then the flowers are creamy with purple, and they smell like ripe bananas. So, or, or juicy fruit gum. Yeah, or, yeah, juicy fruit gum. And it's uh, used ceremonially in Buddhist ceremonies in, 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 in China. The flowers, little metal rings are put through the flowers, and they're hung on spikes in front of altars by the pious. It's a beautifully fragrant plant and easy to grow. Uh, uh, maybe not the best plant for full-blast western sun, but it's a good plant for bright shade, certainly, and, and the eastern morning sun, it's fine. Those are just some of the things you will learn if you take a walk with Warren on his monthly walks through the UC Davis Arboretum. And Warren, you've got a walk coming up this coming Wednesday, May 9th at noon. We do. It's out uh, south of the vet school near the gazebo. If, uh, in, not at the Arboretum office. There was a publication that went out saying that. But it's out in the west side of the Arboretum, just just uh, uh, below the veterinary school, near the bus barn, if you look at Or if you go into the plant sales at the Arboretum, just a little bit beyond that area, the just behind the teaching nursery. Speaking of plant sale, the last one of uh, the spring, the clearance sale, is coming up Saturday, May 12th at the UC Davis Arboretum. And I imagine that a lot of the plants uh, that you'll be looking at on Wednesday, some of them may be offered for sale on Saturday. That's true. A lot of them. And if you've been to the other sales, come to this one, too, because you probably forgot to get something that you wanted. And there are also some other plants that were not for sale at the uh, at the other plant sales. It's a lot of fun. You see friends that you've met uh, over the years, and uh, do come. I think you'll enjoy yourself. It's not only a plant sale, but it's a nice social event as well. For more information about uh, the Walks with Warren, the plant sales, or just the Arboretum in general, it's open seven days a week, and you can find out more when you visit their website, arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Well, Warren, you know, I think we ought to do this again in June. Let's do it in June. All right, we will then. Warren Roberts, UC Davis Arboretum Superintendent Emeritus, thanks for a few minutes of your time today. Thank you, Fred. My, my pleasure. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. 
Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Coming up on Saturday, May 12th, 9 to noon at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It's a free open garden. You're going to get some great ideas for your springtime garden. You can see what's in bloom. You can see what's growing. You can see all the work they've done in the orchard, the herb garden, the water-efficient landscape. So much to see. It's prime time at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. What all will be happening? Saturday? Let's find out. We're talking with Master Gardener Linda Sanford. And Linda, it's going to be a, a nice crowd there this coming Saturday. Well, we always hope so. And we, especially this time of year when the weather is so beautiful. So as you enter the garden, there is a, a series of demonstration plots there, which are called the water efficient landscape. That's the well. And there will be a demonstration there at 10 o'clock on how to do container gardening with succulents. Then as you go through the chain link fence, you'll encounter the orchard. And within the orchard, they're going to set up a demonstration table and show and tell people uh, how to use irrigation, in particular drip lines and micro sprayers to irrigate fruit trees. And they'll even have a display of the tools that are used. In the berries area, not much is uh, ripe right now, but the blueberries are getting there. They're under netting, and there will be somebody there who will demonstrate how to harvest the berries once they become ripe. And the netting is there for what purpose? To keep the birds and other pests away from the ripening berries. As opposed to the guests. Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I would like people to note as they walk through before they make that right turn into the orchard, you're going to pass a wonderful container herb garden on either side of the walkway. And pay attention to the herbs that are in there. And there will probably be one or two master gardeners there that can explain about how to grow herbs. Yes, and not just grow herbs, but how to trim them and give advice about which herbs are best grown in the summer. And they'll be planting some new herbs as well as trimming some of the older ones. I would imagine, too, uh, speaking of berries, that uh, there will be some work over in the vineyard and maybe some uh, grape cluster thinning going on. For sure. This is the time of year when that needs to happen. So, again, beginning at about 10 o'clock, they're going to do a demonstration on how to thin the shoots, leaves, and clusters on the vines. We grow more than 25 varieties of table grapes at the Feral Horticulture Center. Grape vines can grow more than 10 feet in a season, growing, you know, into your trees, your neighbor's yard, trailing on the ground, etc., etc. And too many leaves and shoots mean that you will not get healthy clusters of grapes. The clusters will be tiny and perhaps beset by mold or other types of things you don't want on the grapes because they need sun and air circulation to ward off disease. If you have a problem on your vines, cut a sample, put it in a lock bag, and bring it to us to help identify what the particular problem is. And finally, as a fundraiser for the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, we sell one gallon grapes and two varieties of thornless blackberries. And they're at the back end of the garden for $9 a pot. 
Now, I understand there's going to be a worm composting tower over by the raised beds. Now, what is that all about? <laughs> That's a, something new for us. Uh, there will be a demonstration at 1030 or 1015. We're not quite sure. Um, on how to make a worm tower using a five-gallon plastic bucket. And we've already constructed one and have it in one of the raised beds. And the idea is is that we will feed the worms in that bucket or tower, whatever you want to call it, and then the worms will go through either the bottom or these holes we've drilled in the side and go do their business in the rest of the raised bed and come back and forth into this container and do their thing. And in the container, I imagine, are food scraps? Food scraps, and we've already put in red wiggler worms. So basically, the red wiggler worms are going to be uh, going upstairs to have dinner and then uh, going downstairs to do whatever worms do. Right. And, you know, they leave their worm casings, which is basically worm poop, in the soil, which is a very, very nutritious fertilizer for the soil and the growing vegetables. And yet they're smart enough to go back upstairs for dinner. Yes. Well, uh, you know... Those worms are really intelligent creatures. Or we should point out, this is an experiment? It is an experiment. It's a new project. We're doing it in, in association with the compost group to see if, to demonstrate yet another method of how to do uh, soil enrichment using organic methods. I like it because it's easier than uh, cleaning out a worm bin of all those great castings and then spreading it on the bed. Right. That's the idea, making it easy, low cost, and easy to do. Now, speaking of uh, those beds, those raised beds, it's vegetable planting time, and I would imagine that uh, people, when they go there Saturday, May 12th, are going to see uh, most of the summer and warm season vegetables uh, in the ground. In honor of you, Fred, (laughs) we planted our tomatoes near your birthday. Thank you. So all the tomatoes are up with large cages around them. And then by May 12th, we'll also have put in some peppers, some seedlings of basil, some beans, planted some cucumbers. We've made interesting-looking trellises for some of the cucumbers to grow up. And then later in the month, we'll be planting other things like the traditional varieties of melons and squashes. And I would imagine, too, that the experiment with planting vegetables and straw bales is ongoing. Oh, yes. And this year, this summer, we're going to grow sweet potatoes in the straw bale. Hmm. And there will be a demonstration at 10 o'clock of how to condition your bales for planting because they do need some fertilizer put in for a period of time before you do the planting. And then Gail Pothor will be actually planting the slip. Uh, sweet potato slip. And again, it's all happening Saturday, May 12th, 9 to noon at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It's open garden day. It's free. Parking is free. They're in Fair Oaks Park, 11549 Fair Oaks Boulevard. And uh, you can just follow the signs to the uh, Horticulture Center 
and you're going to learn a lot. You're going to see a lot. You're going to get some great ideas for your own garden. Plus, you can bring your garden problem questions to the Ask the Master Gardeners table. And uh, there may even be some information about the Espalier Training Fruit Tree Workshop that will be held there on Saturday, May 19th. I'm not sure that there's any space left available for that. But when you go by the uh, fruit trees uh, that have been espaliered not not too far from the vegetable gardens, uh, you're going to be amazed at what you're going to see, and it may intrigue you to want to do the same thing. So you may want to ask to see if there's any room left for that May 19th espalier workshop. But again, the uh, free open garden is Saturday, May 12th, 9 to noon, Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Master Gardener Linda Sanford, thanks for a few minutes of your time. Well, thank you, Fred. Some other events you may want to take advantage of today, the Sacramento Cactus and Succulent Society has their 58th annual Cactus and Succulent Show going on at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center from now until 5 p.m. Shepherd Garden and Arts Center is at 3330 McKinley Boulevard in McKinley Park. Over in Oakland today, if you're over in the Bay Area, the East Bay Rose Society's 71st Annual Rose Show will be at Lakeside Park in Oakland today from 1 until 5 o'clock. Over at the Old City Cemetery here in Sacramento, 10th and Broadway, at 1 p.m., you can find out about once-blooming European roses, some dating from ancient times. You can enjoy the beauty of the cemetery garden in full bloom while you learn about the roses rarely seen today. It's a free event. There's free street parking. Old City Cemetery is awash in color right now. Beautiful perennial garden. But come for the roses. It's just an excellent rose garden there at the Old City Cemetery, and it is high season for them, so you may want to check that out. Also at the City Cemetery tomorrow evening, Monday evening, 6 until dark, they're having a deadheading at dusk workshop. If volunteers will be a deadheading the roses, maybe you don't know how to deadhead. Well, this would be a good opportunity for you to learn how to encourage repeat blooming of the roses in your garden by deadheading. And again, the Old City Cemetery is at uh, 1000 Broadway, 10th and Broadway. And again, that workshop tomorrow evening, Monday, 6 until 10 p.m. On Tuesday, the uh, Roseville Better Garden Club is holding their plant sale from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Maidu Community Center, which is at 1550 Maidu Drive in Roseville. That's off Rocky Ridge between Douglas and Kirby Way, or Serby Way. I prefer Serby. All right. The sale includes locally grown plants, native plants, and uh, succulents at great prices. All right. What else is going on? A lot of events uh, next weekend. For instance, uh, next Saturday and Sunday, it's the East Sacramento Garden Tour, and it's going on both days. Tickets are available at eastsacgardentour.com. And then coming up uh, next Saturday at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, it's the Sacramento Geranian Club's annual show and sale. That'll be Saturday, May 12th, 9 to 3, at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center there at 3330 McKinley Boulevard. Time for me to get on out of here, making room for the news, followed by the KSTE Farm Hour, where we take a look at farmers are still attempting to recover from damage due to last year's heavy rains. And uh, also we talk about the ramifications of those tariffs on California's farmers. And uh, plus a story about the Delta Tunnels, of course, and the latest uh, news on that. And about uh, 2018's almond problems as well. That's coming up next on the KSDE Farm Hour. Thank you for listening to Get Growing. I appreciate your support all these years. We'll do it again next Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, right here on Talk 650 KSTE.